Hello and welcome back to HIF Player from Harrogate International Festivals. We had an extended Christmas break, but now we're back to bring a host of fantastic events from our home to yours to keep you entertained during this lockdown. Have you ever wondered how far you'd go to get just what you want? And what it would take for you to commit a crime? That's the question as Lauren North sits down with a fantastic trio of crime authors two Theeks and Zolp Cudia crime writing festival favourites, authors Harriet Tice and Simon Koenig, and debut author Ali Reynolds. Don't forget that you can get your copy of the latest books for every single one of our podcast episodes by heading over to the podcast section of our festival website. So sit back, relax, and join us for another fantastic event. This episode is kindly sponsored by Headline Publishing. Hello and welcome to Harrogate and Headlines Winter Thriller Virtual Panel. I'm your chair, Lauren North, and I'm delighted to be here talking to three fantastic authors on The Price of Life. How far would you go to get what you want? Before we dive in, let's go and meet our panellists and get to know their books. First up, the very talented Ali Reynolds. Ali is an ex-snowboarder who, after competing in the British Snowboarding Championships and being in the UK top 10, has turned her talents to writing. Her first novel, Shiva, is out in January 2021. Ali, do you want to tell us a little bit about your debut? Shiva begins as five former friends are invited to a reunion in a tiny French ski resort. 10 years ago, they were athletes living and training in the resort until tragedy struck. So now it's the off season and the reunion venue is high up on an isolated mountaintop. As they go up the cable car, there's confusion over who invited them. When they reach the top, the ski lodge there is dark and deserted. An icebreaker game has been laid out for them. The game reveals their darkest secrets, but the cable car is no longer running. There's no easy way down. If they want to get off the mountain alive, they must find the truth of what really happened that winter 10 years ago. Oh, amazing and fantastic pitch. Um, so moving on to Harriet, um, the phenomenal Harriet Tice. Um, after working as a criminal barrister for over 10 years, Harriet certainly knows her criminal mindset. Harriet's debut novel, Blood Orange, was a Sunday Times bestseller and a Richard and Judy book club pick. Her second novel, The Lies You Told, came out in the summer. Harriet, do you want to tell us a little bit about The Lies You Told? Here it is. Um, yes, it's about a woman who has to move back to London with her daughter um, and her daughter starts at a new school. Um, the tension in the playground between the children is pretty bad, but it's nothing as to the toxicities of the parents at the school gate. Um, and the question for Sadie, the mum, and Matilda, the daughter, is um, just how dangerous it's going to become for them. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And last but by no means least uh, is Simon Koenig, who really needs no introduction. 
Simon is one of the UK's most popular thriller writers. He's also been chosen as a Richard and Judy summer read, as well as reaching the dizzying heights of number one in the UK charts on multiple occasions. His latest novel, Killer Stranger, is out on the 26th of November. Simon, welcome to the panel. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Killer Stranger? I can. I'm going to have to show you a photograph on my phone of the cover because my, oh crikey, because it hasn't actually um, uh, arrived yet. Uh, guess today but the book is the next week but effectively it's a a very very fast-paced story which begins with um one of our three protagonists matt he arrives home from a night out in london um to find that um his pregnant fiance is is missing and there is a dead woman who has no idea who she is lying in a bed um where, where his wife where his fiance kate should be um he, the dead woman he doesn't recognize she has a phone in her hand. A couple of minutes later, the phone starts ringing. He finds out that Kate has been kidnapped and in order to get her back, he has to kill someone. He doesn't know who this person is. He's gonna get a tiny little piece of information, but he knows that that person has to die by midday the next day uh, or his fiance dies. Um, so it's as simple as that. And really we see the whole story uh, over that 24 hours from the three central protagonists' uh, points of view. But uh, it becomes clear as the book wears on, or not wears on, I shouldn't say, but fires on that um, no, they've all got secrets of their own, the protagonists, including Matt, and no one is telling possibly the entire truth. And you'll have to find out, to the, read the last page to find out exactly who did it and why. Oh, amazing. Oh, you've left it to the last page as well. Very it's Agatha Christie. Last page. It's, it's not about four lines from the end, so yes. Oh, fantastic. And um, well, uh, being chair is great for this because it meant that I got to read all three of your books and they all had me on the edge of my seat. So thank you very much. They are all um, very different books from the French Alps to the school run to a quiet village. Um, but they also have some very common themes, um, namely the idea that a seemingly ordinary person can be pushed into this killer mindset and believe there might be no alternative but to go through with the act. Um, but it is really a fine line between playing fair and risking lives. So Simon, my first question is for you. How far can you push your character over that line? And is there, is there a point where you can push them too far? And can you lose the reader if you do that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be plausible. I mean, I think all books and all stories in the end have to have a sense of plausibility about them. So clearly if you tell your character, he's got to kill a stranger and he, where you, he pops around a corner and kills that person, then he's not really, well, he, he may well be, he's clearly a psycho, he's not an ordinary person. So I think what you've got to try and do, and what I always try to do with my books, is kind of imagine if I'm stuck in this situation, um, what on earth would I do? Uh, and I just try to sort of take it step by step through what Matt did and, um, and, try, and just try to think, what, what, yeah, what, what, what I do in that situation? How, could, how far could I go? I mean, and, and, and go through it like that. And I think, you know, if, if it's something that you feel yourself, then hopefully the readers can identify with, with what you're trying to say. I mean, that's the only way you can say it. I mean, you lose the readers, I think, if, if you stretch incredulity. Uh, you know, if they just do something that you would think, well, why on earth would you do that? But most people in that kind of situation are going to do things fairly extreme. Um, often with a very, very heavy heart, or, or they might find that they can't do it. And obviously with Matt, you don't know until it turns out whether, he not, whether or not he can. Fantastic. And I think one of the things that you do brilliantly with Matt is you build this um, very tense internal dialogue. 
so that the reader does stay with them throughout um, throughout the story. Um, but surroundings also play such a huge part in um, building that um, mindset and pushing your characters to the edge. Um, Harriet, you really nail this toxic situation in your um, book, The Lies You Told, when your main character, Sadie, um, meets some rather competitive and mean mums, as you say. How important is it to build that toxicity into sort of the surroundings of the book to really push your character towards a killer mindset? Well, I think that if you don't, I mean, it comes back to plausibility, as Simon said, that if you don't have an atmosphere that's sufficiently tense or competitive, then none of the behaviours that come out are going to seem remotely likely. Um, I mean, I have to say that I based a lot of the lies you told on 11 years spent at the school gates of primary schools. And while it's an exaggerated version to a certain extent of, um, I mean, I would hope that no one would go quite as far as some of the characters have. But um, I think that it, it can't be underestimated how competitive some people will get in, in defence or progression of their children's interests you know whether it's because they've got their children's interests completely at heart or whether it's because they're playing out their own psychodrama with their children as their little puppets um, I think that that really it's um it, it's crucial that you you create a, a a completely all surrounding feeling of oppression and horror before the the really bad stuff happens otherwise it's just not going to make any sense um, and I, I'm not sure whether I didn't push it slightly too far because it is just primary school um, but on the other hand people can get very very strange around their kids. Yeah they certainly can and um, there were points in the book where I was like you did not just say that but at the same time having been at the school gates myself quite a lot know that um, uh, tempers can flare for sure so um, yeah one of the things I really um, loved about the book was how you really used the peripheral characters to help really build that toxicity with them, some of those other characters. And Ali, I think you also do that really brilliantly with, um, with your book, where you've got this group of highly competitive people who were ex-friends, ex-competitors, who are alone in this ski resort, um, completely shut off from the world. Um, how much does the isolation that you create in the book play towards pushing that tension and getting your characters really to the edge? Yeah, I think the isolation plays uh, a big part in that, definitely. Um, I think thriller and crime writers, we're always kind of looking for ways we can isolate and cut off or strand our characters. Um, we don't want them just to be able to pick up the phone and call the police because, you know, where's the fun in that? So if they are cut off and isolated, um, you know, there's a sense that anything can happen. Uh, they're at the mercy of the elements and each other. Um, also, if they're in a confined space together, you, you wonder, are they going to turn on each other when they start fighting for survival? Uh, will they take sides? Um, it might bring out the, the shadow side of some people. And yeah, they're forced to decide who, do they really know these people that they thought they knew? And how much do they really trust the other people that, they, that they're with? 
And that um, really comes across in the book as well when you're reading it because you're never quite sure who you're trusting and whether they're telling the truth or and if they're lying, what are they lying about? So that's brilliantly dripped through the novel. Um, and Secrets and Lies plays a huge role in your book, Ali, as it does with all three books. Um, and it really leads the main character into facing impossible situations. I mean, it's often these secrets and lies that are at the heart of a character's motivations. But one of the questions that I'm really interested in is what makes the best motivator um, to really get your character into that killer mindset? So I'm going to ask you that question first, Simon. How do you get your characters to really question how far they're willing to go to get what they want? Well, I think it boils down to um, you've got to have something that, they have to, they, they, it, it, they, they've got to save something about themselves or, or get something so huge that it makes it worthwhile. And obviously in the case of Matt, the main um, protagonist in Killer Stranger, um, it's his pregnant fiance, it's his whole life, but it's not just his fiance's life, it's the life of his unborn child, it's the whole life they're gonna have together. He is being set up by um, the kidnapper, so he could, if he goes one way, he can save his, he can save his fiance. He can save his unborn child. He can start. He can have a family. They can move back to Sri Lanka, which is where they're planning to move to. They can have a whole future together. Or he could be blackmailed by a kidnapper, not do what he's told, and end up in prison for the rest of his life for something he hasn't done. So it's you. You have to. I think in order to get someone to do something very, very extreme, you have to. You have to make sure that they um, they are they have a huge reward at the end of it. And that's a huge reward. I mean, you know, I've my wife, my ex-wife, uh, you know, pregnant with two of my children. I mean, I would have done anything, pretty much anything uh, to have saved, uh, to have saved them at the, the time. And I, and I think that's what you've got to do. You can't suddenly say like, you know, you, you get 50,000 pounds if, if you kill a guy. I mean, it's got to be something that's life-changing, utterly life-changing. You know, if you don't do it, it's life-changing. If you do do it, it's life-changing. And um, how far, because um, in your novel, you, um, it's, it's in quite a very short space of time. How important, um, which is quite a common theme actually in a few of your books, um, how important is it to really shorten, keep that time, that clock ticking and have it in this really short period of time to really push your characters? Well, I think in a, in a book, you know, where you have this one big decision to be made uh, and you have a kidnap um, and you have to kill someone in a certain period of time, you've got to... Um, it's, it's hugely important because really and truly you couldn't stretch this kind of story out a week. You, you, you don't want your main character, you don't want Matt to, to have too much time to think through what he's doing and think of the possible alternatives and more rational alternatives, um, which he could take uh, in order to possibly save his, his fiance, like go to the police or what have you. You don't want, you want him on the back foot and then you want the reader to feel like you're in there with him uh, on the back foot. Um, because that obviously drives them to, to, to want to read the book, to want to know what happened. So I try to keep the, the chapters short, um, the, 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 the sort of ticking clock always in the background. Um, and just because that just drives everything, the narrative, the plot, um, the characters forward. And then, you know, every so often sort of chuck in something completely, um, you know, random that then suddenly changes the whole direction of the book. But, but that's what it is. I mean, it's all about sort of, yeah, just keeping that tension flowing constantly throughout the story. Yeah, there's certainly a few gasps in there, that's for sure. My heart was racing through, throughout the book, so you definitely nailed that. Um, Ali, what about you when it comes to motivation? Would you say that rivalry and jealousy between close friends stirs up the worst in us? 
Um, I think, yeah, rivalry and jealousy can definitely be big uh, motivators and make us do things that we shouldn't do. Um, in Shiva, I look particularly at the rivalry between athletes competing in a sport. Um, I think that um, athletes actually make really good thriller characters because we know they, they don't, you don't reach the top in a sport by being nice. Um, they need a certain single-mindedness, um, a ruthlessness. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised we don't see them in, in thrillers more often, actually. Um, <laughs> as part of the research um, while I was writing, um, I got researching other sports and I was listening to interviews of different athletes and, um, you know, looking at what the really top athletes, some of the things that they've done to, to get to where they got to. And um, there are so many stories of mind games and intimidation strategies and just other tactics that they use uh, to get a psychological edge on their rivals uh, in sports like basketball and boxing and golf. Um, so I guess I, I transported those um, tactics to an extreme sports environment where we've got, you know, really dangerous, really high stakes. Um, so yeah, you, you, the athletes are already doing a dangerous sport and it's a dangerous environment up on the mountain. So yeah, I, I think the, the options for doing something underhand to a rival are, are quite, you know, endless up there. And uh, also there's often a fine line between what is, fair play and what is going too far in a sport there's, there's it's quite a gray area a lot of the time the rules aren't always clear cut so yeah i guess shiva kind of exploits that a little bit amazing <laughs> and, and one of the really interesting things about shiva is that you've got this sort of dual timeline uh, then and now situation where you have this 10-year gap um how did you find um creating keeping that tension going throughout when you have sort of two timelines going? Well, I was aware that the reader might get, you know, bored or lose interest when they're constantly going back in time. So I tried hard to leave each chapter on a cliffhanger. So they'd be wanting to, you know, know what happens. And when they skip back to the other timeline, they still, you know, they've got an interest in what was happening before. So yeah, it helped me a lot to kind of plan it all out and end on cliffhangers as much as possible. And you really did do that because every time I was swapping from chapters, I was like, oh no, I want to go back to that, the other timeline. So it was um, very well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, moving on to you, Harriet. Um, in the lies you told, a parent's desire to get the best for their children plays a big role in the events of the book. As motivation goes, is a mother's love for their child enough um, on its own to question the price of life, do you think? Or do you need to add that competitive rivalry or another element into it? Well, I don't think that there's a great deal of love really coming through in the lies you told, certainly from some of the characters. Um, I think that their love for their children is entirely eclipsed by their love for themselves. and the progression that they see as possible. 
Um, I've always thought it's slightly tragic when you see people who are vying for positions of power within their children's primary school, um, because it does rather smack of not having much else going on in your life. Um, and if you watch the shenanigans happening at form reps meetings and parent-teacher associations, it can be really quite stunning the way that people all behave and, and, and it, it, it has nothing to do with the children's welfare. Um, and I think that if we're going to look at real life, the examples of what the parents in America have been doing in terms of engineering things for their children to go to colleges, um, which really don't seem to be places that you know are remotely suited to them intellectually or academically if you're having to cheat the system by sticking someone on a rowing machine um you know it might suggest that they'd be better off going somewhere else um and i i it's it's a tame environment in comparison to 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 you know kidnapping all the the high stakes of the snowboarding it 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 is quite dull you know the school gates in north london but the, the, the way that people can behave and the way that people can play out this, this, this sort of proxy warfare in really petty ways, I think is something that I found absolutely fascinating, just, just in terms of quite how horrible people can be over something that is so, I mean, it's not your children's education, of course, isn't trivial, but surely you shouldn't get in that much of a state about it. So it, 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 it just felt as if it was already a kind of microcosm of horror. And I wanted to play with what you could do with it and how much worse you could make it. And you certainly do that. And you definitely have this sense of real tension and horror at the school gates. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed all three of your books. And talking to you um, today has really amazed me that we're not all bumping off our friends and rivals um, at the drop of a hat. So I think well done on all of us. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, um, which leaves me with the final job of thanking Ali, Harriet and Simon for opening up their minds to us and to you for watching at home. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for reaching the end of the episode. It would be great if you could do us a quick favour and head over to wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five star and then leave a nice glowing review. It'll help boost the podcast up the charts, which makes it easier for more people to find us and join our exciting podcast community.